Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cave of the Cross Projects. I am Patrick. And I'm Tony. And uh, we're in the midst of chapter two of our uh, frame by uh, our, our book by John Frame, uh, Apologetics, A Justification of Christian Belief. And uh, we're starting uh, chapter two talking about um, kind of the, the, the message that we are to carry. And so uh, we want to cover uh, certain aspects of, of the big, big questions. And so everyone that has a, a worldview must have kind of a, a explanation or an answer or a uh, predilection, uh, a slant towards um, uh, kind of those those big things that uh, make up the kind of the three various aspects of, of, of all life. And so we look at the, the metaphysics, which is uh, who, who, we, who we are, what, what are we made up of, um, uh, 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 what, what's our nature. Uh, the epistemology is uh, the, our theory of knowledge. How, how do we know the things that we know or the, the things that we claim to know? And then the ethics is, uh, you know, the, the, the actions that we take, what are the correct ones? What are the incorrect ones? Are there any incorrect or correct uh, actions uh, that, uh, that, that we take? And, and, and all those things kind of uh, work together uh, to uh, inform uh, whether we uh, uh, kind of have a, a full sense of what those words mean or, or in our daily life, we, we, um, we watch movies and write stories and, uh, 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 you know, go to work and come home, uh, all, all while, uh, uh, almost unawarely focused on, on those aspects of, of human life. And so, uh, it is the role of the apologist to point to those aspects and say, uh, these things are important and ultimately they have their grounding in the person and the revelation of, of God. And so, uh, that's where we're, uh, focused on where we're in the midst of our metaphysics of, of kind of what, what is the makeup of all reality, which is uh, 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 covered very well here. And so uh, we covered the first two kind of aspects uh, uh, to that that frame brings up uh, with his uh, creator creature uh, relationship distinction and that um, that God is uh, that God is the absolute personality and, and that, uh, um, the, the, the universe has a personal explanation to it, even though uh, it seems like many people don't want to 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 acknowledge that or uh, to at least uh, uh, give the the benefit of the doubt that that's a possibility in the answers of all things. And so now we're going to uh, dig into the the sovereignty of God as as part of our uh, uh, part of our metaphysics. And so he says in in uh, the the uh, DKG book, the, uh, the Doctrine of Knowledge of God, uh, that uh, I hear is highly recommended. Uh, he uh, writes at some length about God's lordship, which he understands to mean that is God's control, his authority, his presence. And he understands the traditional term of sovereignty to be a synonym of lordship in all three aspects. And he says that it's important for the Christian worldview that God directs all things, or as Ephesians 1.11 has it, that God works all things according to the counsel of his will. He is the, the conductor. He's the director. He's the, 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 the cast uh, uh uh, director, and he's the one that uh, uh, writes the script as well. And uh, he says that, um, you know, why is this important? Well, he says the divine of autonomy, and right? it destroys the unbeliever's pretense of autonomy. And God creates and governs all things, in the, and uh, then he, his plan never fails. Therefore, his plan determines what things are, what is true or false, and what is right or wrong. 
And so for us to make judgments in these areas, we must consult, you know, the, the planner, the one who put it all together, the ruler, through his revelation in nature and in scripture. Seeking humbly to think God's thoughts after him, he tells us. We may not claim that our mind or anything else in creation is the ultimate standard for being truth or right, because God is the sovereign uh, Lord, right? He is uh, in control of his creation, and uh, he is Lord. That's his idea of sovereign. So th there's this, uh, you know, this idea of like, well, you know, does God, God, uh, uh, you know, pull, pull down these rules from from on high, or does he kind of just make them arbitrarily, which seems to be a a, 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 a thing outside of himself still too. And so this again goes back to that personal impersonal uh, distinction that we're we're trying to put in. So even that question talks about like, well, does God pull pull from the the nature of the kind of this universe that he exists in? And so. Uh, we're, what we're saying is that the revelation of God makes this uh, an absurd um, kind of a, a, a question or, or, or idea because we're, we're not saying that there's uh, 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 an impersonal nature that's that's outside of God in 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 the the, the kind of space he occupies in 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 his in his uh, in his nature and so those things that were we're talking about as as, as uh, of what he is Lord and it doesn't have an impersonal nature that he's pulling from. He's pulling from his personal nature to direct the things. And so uh, the, the the very aspect of, of lordship, even within uh, God Himself, is is a uh, is is an answer within this question. So uh, that, that's uh, that's that's one of the um, uh, ideas that we talked about with uh, with Mitch Stokes uh, when we discussed that. Uh, that um, dichotomy answer that uh, is a false dichotomy. All right. And so uh, the final one for our metaphysics is talking about the Trinity. Uh, the Trinity is a important aspect of who God so is. So he saves the best for the last, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. The, and, and the easiest, the, the one that is uh, very easily understandable <laughs> and uh, has, has, has no issues uh, within the past 2000 years of, of church history either. So. <laughs> All right, so the Christian God is three in one. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and there is only one God. And uh, but the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. But those uh, Father, Son, and Spirit aren't themselves uh, those uh, the the Father or the Son or the spirits. Uh, somehow they are three, and somehow they are one. The Nicene Creed says that they are one being but three substances, or differently translated, one substance and three persons. And he says that he prefers to s simply say, one God, three persons. The technical terms should not be uh, understood in any precise uh, descriptive sense. The fact is that we do not know precisely uh, how the three are one and the one are three. We do know that since the three are God, they are equal, uh, for there is no superiority or inferior inferiority within God. Yeah. Right. And so since God is both three and one, you know, he can uh, be described in personalistic terms. And so we're right back to the, you know, the personalistic. So God can be described in personalistic terms without being made relative to the world or even dependent on it. For instance, when we say God is love, 1 John 4, 8, we might ask, well, love of what? 
And he says, well, if we immediately answer love of the world, right, then we have a problem. Mm -hmm. uh, for on that account, the divine attribute of love, notice, depends on the existence of the world. And therefore, for God to be loved, uh, he, the world has to be there. And so God is dependent on the existence of the world if he is loved. And to say that God's attribute depends on the world is to say that God himself then obviously is dependent on the world. But notice, if he is not a, uh, you know, merely one, you know, he is three, then his love is initially the love of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit for one another. And John 17 talks about that. Mm -hmm. His love, therefore, like his being, is self-existent and self-sufficient, and he's not dependent on his creation for anything. Right? So love existed throughout all eternity within the triune God. And he didn't have to create a world in order to express love because he is love and love has always been a part of who God is. If indeed God is triune, which the scripture says he is. Mm -hmm. And again, uh, I know I've mentioned on the show here before is uh, this is a, a, a great question asked um, um, your Muslim friend of, well, you know, is Allah, does he love? And so, yes, he loves. And so, okay, so when did he learn love? Well, he, he can't learn or he isn't, he isn't God. But in the, uh, before the existence of the universe, uh, there's a lot. What of, did he love? He, he, he's just there. And so he has to then create, Allah has to create in order to love something because there's nothing other than Allah. So he, he can't self-love. Love is a relationship aspect. And so it's a, it's a uh, um, a sticky wicket, if you will, uh, for <laughs> for the Muslims, and so uh, it's a good um, avenue to kind of uh, uh, go down there. Um, and th there's a lot more that can be said here. Uh, we we've talked a, a little bit about um, uh, kind of uh, the one in the many type deal uh, that we've covered in in other ones. Uh, obviously, we're not covering everything that is in Frame's book, but uh, but uh, uh, of course, the links are in the description. Or uh, where to to pick up his um, his books, including his uh, the the newest uh, version, which is uh, 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 the second edition on on Audible as well. All right, and so and now we move to uh, the epistemology, the, our, our our knowing things. So God is not only uh, omnipotent, but He's also omniscient. As we have seen, He controls all things by His wise plan. Hence, He knows all things. All, uh, all our knowledge, therefore, originates in him. Thus, the fear of the Lord and the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of understanding, of knowledge. God is not only the origin of truth, but also the th supreme authority for knowledge. Authority is part of his lordship. Again, it doesn't exist outside of himself. He's not discovering things or he's not revealing things that are, that are uh, uh, separate from him, but from his knowledge, he is, is able to uh, reveal things. And within himself, he uh, exists all truth uh, uh, that, uh, that uh, he, um, he uh, makes known to us. And so uh, uh, that's uh, one of the benefits that we have of scripture is, 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 uh, is the truth. And so the, 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 the fact that we can know things uh, uh, comes from that very basis. So authority is part of his lordship and God has the right to command and be obeyed. He has therefore the right to tell us what we must believe. Mm, yeah. And so um, what about the other positions? Well, rationalistic philosophy, Brain tells us, declares human reason 
and not God as uh, as the final authority. Empiricism, uh, Frame tells us, recognizes the flights of speculation to which unbridled reason is prone and demands that all ideas be ultimately accountable to human sense perception. <laughs> and then, of course, skepticism recognizes that both human reason and sense experience are prone to error, and it declares, and Frame tells us on its own authority, right, <laughs> that truth is unattainable. Of course, should we be skeptical about that claim? <laughs> right. Yes, and therefore no, but then also then back to yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. So what's our job? Uh, again, uh, here's here's what we need to, to, to do. Here's, here's, here's our role in the thing. The apologist must not, must not only refuse to compromise with these distorted epistemologies, but also summon unbelievers to abandon them. For such epistemologies are part of the unbeliever's sinful suppression of truth. Like the distortions in metaphysics, they represent his desire to escape from responsibility, to avoid hearing the voice of God telling him what to do. We cannot consistently issue such a challenge if, as has been often done traditionally, we build our own apologetics on one of those non-Christian epistemological options. And so, uh, again, uh, uh, building from a, presupp a presuppositional standpoint, uh, we're trying to put things in the best perspective of a scriptural response to unbelief. And again, th that's one of the reasons why Frame has written this book. And so uh, when other types of, of um, apologetic philosophies uh, tend to do is they tend to want to build on these other types of philosophies and, and have answers. And so we're almost uh, here putting the cart for before the horse of, <laughs> of, of saying, well, you know, we can kind of explain these things away and, 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 but, but there are issues. And so uh, when uh, Mitch Stokes, or I'm sorry, when um, uh, uh, Scott Christensen um, in his writing, he talks about like, uh, you know, in, in these different aspects, uh, these certain things have these benefits, but they're not the whole answer because here are the deficiencies. And here we can do the same thing. We can say, well, by by uh, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, they don't have the answer, but by suppressing it, they still have kind of a touchstone portion to it. So sense experience, we can know things from our sense experience, but can they also be susceptible so that we're the skepticists are right or are, are correct and that we're sometimes incorrect? Well, yes, that's also true. And so, but there, there's not a complete answer with, within that. And so here we're trying to say it's, it's not all these um, uh, uh, different philosophies that we've, we've come about, but they only have a, a, a small picture that the, the big, biggest and best uh, picture of the Christian worldview uh, allows these uh, uh, truths to operate in. And so um, that's where we're able to, as an apologist, to pinpoint and say, uh, that's a good point, but then let's let's take it a step further. Okay, you're skeptical of all truth. Is that also truthful? And so, you know, it, it, it's 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 one of our natures where we're saying, okay, you're you say that you can hold to knowledge in this category, but can it be applied to itself? And so, again, that's mm. what, uh, that's uh, what the presuppositional kind of viewpoint does before launching onto the to the next aspect of of the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And so what we've seen here, what he's told us as we look at the, uh, you know, this worldview, Christian worldview, as you know, the message of the apologist, um, and metaphysically, God is uh, absolute personality, uh, 
epistemologically, God is omniscient. He knows all and he's found, he's created all. And so he knows all and he's the foundation of knowledge. And now finally, ethics, right? Ethics investigates such matters as good and evil, right and wrong. And like Christian metaphysics and epistemology, Christian ethics is distinctive from, you know, other worldviews. And that's the basic idea that he's really uh, honing in on over and over again. Christianity is different. It's distinctive. Right? It's, yeah. Whereas the world might be, the, the uh, secularists might be bent toward the impersonal, Christianity focuses on the person, right? Where reason or perhaps sense ex uh, experience is the foundation of knowledge, Christianity sees God, who is omniscient, as a foundation of knowledge. And, and, and I would so, also want to make the, the point, too, of in this chapter, he does um, mention different religious perspectives and talks about, okay, well, here's ones that claim to be personal, but there's actually an impersonal aspect within this belief system. So uh, uh, Hinduism or, or um, even the, the, the Greek gods, you know, fate has this, uh, uh, you know, you have the, the gods there, but they're not all encompassing. But fate then kind of becomes this impersonal force that controls all all things that the gods don't and so um uh, again i just want to make make clear that uh, there's more to this chapter that uh that um, he lays out uh other aspects as well and I so think he, he, this right. really he critiques job. not only secular ideas but also various religious ideas yes. as yeah. well right and of course you know it would would be here for a long time right. longer yeah right but he's showing so. he's showing the, the the personal nature of christianity as being completely distinct even when you think, well, you know, what about Islam or what about uh, Hinduism or what about, you know, these these various other religions? And so he does mention um, them more that we're not covering here. Right. Good. All right. So he says under ethics, we must observe that God is also the supreme standard of what is good and evil, right and wrong. And he has expressed his standards um, in his words to us in the scriptures. Unbelievers, he says, uh, we're told know uh, not only of God's existence, but also of his standards, his requirements. They know this. That's what Romans 1 says. Right? Yet they disobey uh, those laws and further seek to evade that responsibility, according to Romans 1. They suppress that truth, even though they know it. All right, so again, the history of philosophy illustrates how human thinkers seek to avoid responsibility to God by claiming autonomy. They don't want to obey God's laws, and so they set themselves up as the ultimate judges of what is right. Theological ethics uh, uh, seeks to base values on sense experiences, but it can't bridge the gap between the uh, is of the experience and the ought of value. Well, this is what it is, but what should it be? Well, it's wishy-washy there. It's it's yeah, hard right. hard to say what, what I... This is what I did, right? But what what should I do, or what should I have done? That's where the, it gets the whole up. issue that you can't get a an ought from an is. Right? <laughs> right. The fact value distinction is what he's getting. Right, and and really good conversations in philosophy classes happen when when you get there. <laughs> <laughs> then ontological ethics claims a source of duty uh, beyond experience, but that source is ultimately so mysterious to the point where it lacks all usefulness. And subjectivist ethics base its judgment on mere feelings, but why should one person's feeling command anyone else's attention or behavior? All right. 
And, and, and even after the philosophers, he tells us, the liberal theologians come running and waving the banner <laughs> of autonomy, right? Um, uh, you know, Fletcher's uh, ethics, right? right. Uh, and the newspaper columnists, he says, and talk show hosts and the politicians, you know, they follow suit. And thus develops this conventional wisdom, he tells us. Um, uh, and uh, he says this develops the ills of a society governed by that wisdom. So we have this conventional wisdom, and of course, all of the ills of society flow from it. Christianity, he tells us, is the alternative. Only Christianity flies right in the face of human claims of autonomy. Only Christianity, therefore, has, he, he says here, the answer to lawlessness. Right? Mm -hmm. yeah, and uh, so that's what he wants us to see with regard to ethics. And I, I'll just point out the fact that if, if you're looking at current day 2023, hello to those in the future. Um, I don't know what you're doing from the from the past, but uh, we welcome you as well. Uh, the, 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 the fact that there's so many um, uh, ethics philosophers <laughs> in, in, in uh, the kind of the, 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 the pop culture that uh, that know a thing in a certain area that then they're asked about and and understandably so, uh, areas where the, the, uh, that is not their qualification. So uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson might know the nature of stars and the makeup of, of planets and galaxies, but then it's like, well, then what should we do about uh, uh, our, our uh, lawmaking um, governments? And it's like, well, I have an opinion to that. And so uh, again, <laughs> where, where are we looking to? Well, we're looking to autonomously uh, a, a person who knows a thing about a thing, rightfully so, uh, but then why would we care what that person has to say about another type of thing that they're not an expert in? And so uh, even even there, we're, we're, still, we're still looking, again, for a personal person to tell us how, how to base our, our ideals. And, and uh, it's interesting that we're... we're uh, oh, God, you, you've sent us the, the, the boat, the helicopter, and uh, the National Guard, but why won't you save me from this flood? I sent you the boat, the helicopter, and the National Guard. What, what more do you want? Yeah, yeah. So we're, 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 uh, you know, we're looking around for everywhere but up. And so uh, that's, uh, uh, that's the interesting uh, thing that we're still seeing here. All right. Uh, and then um, I think... Uh, something that's interesting that uh, it, it shows kind of the, the 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 overview of I think what the book will show and it's it's uh, something not lost on frame and uh, I, I think it'd be easy to glance over and say well of course he's got to talk about this but uh, he wants to talk about um, uh, what's the purpose of apologists it's uh, to present the good news and it it would be very easy to say well you know these three things lend into um, our, our, our apologetics, but um, he makes a, a central point that um, it's, it's very hard to divorce uh, our, our good news, our gospel message from our philosophy and vice versa. And so um, I, I just want to say that uh, um, as, as I'm reading this and I'm reading Frame for the first time, I'm, I'm appreciating uh, what he's covering here. And uh, that doesn't mean anything to probably any, any viewer, but I just want to say I enjoyed it. So. <laughs> mm -hmm. Uh, but Christianity is not just an alternative to secular philosophies or a set of moral standards better than those of current society. Uh, you know, well, is it Jesus or is it Jordan Peterson? Well, you know, you just kind of 
pick what you want and what it is. It's not just that it's an alternative viewpoint. It's the gospel. It's the good news. We're saying that this is the answer. It's not an answer. It's the way, the truth, and the life. And so we're, we're pointing to this as being the ultimate explanation. So in this respect, too, it is unique, a genuine alternative to the conventional way of thinking. Scripture teaches that human beings made in God's image sinned against him, and we today bear the guilt of Adam's first sin and the weight of our sins against God. And what is the solution? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus died for our sins and was raised for our justification. And what does that have to do with our understanding of the nature and makeup of reality and how we know things and how we should live? Well, absolutely everything. That's exactly mm. the answer. And from that source uh, point, uh, we get all the answers to, to everything else. And that's that's what we want. And if, if uh, you know, people ask me, well, you know, what, what would be a good alternative explanation to Christianity? I would I would say that I want to see a, uh, a consistent worldview presented to me that I could uh, live without contradiction. So that that's what I'm looking for. Uh, uh, from from my that viewpoint. actually worked in the world, right? Right, right. and you know the, the the you know I'm sure someone could say, well, yes. Oh, how about this one? And we can have that discussion. But I'm saying Christianity is the one that seems to offer to me a very convincing, uh, complete package of worldview uh, from from nature aspect, from uh, a, a knowledge aspect, and from a an ethics perspective, and then from there have a transcendent uh, aspect that applies to everyone, everywhere, everything, and even before time began. And so that, I, I think that's a hard, hard hurdle to, uh, to, to get past. And um, he's, he's going to talk about, uh, uh, well, you know, does unique mean right? And so that's what he talks about next. Right. Yeah. And so he tells us no philosophy, no liberal theology, not even any Christian heresy offers any solution to human sin beyond encouragement to try harder, right? However persuasive they may be in other respects, these ideologies agree that there's no free gift of divine forgiveness through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Piercism, rationalism, idealism, Judaism, Islam, Mormonism, the Jehovah's Witnesses, all are religions of works righteousness, which is self-righteousness. And they offer us only the hollow advice, he tells us, to try harder, right? Or the false and morally destructive claim that God will forgive everything without demanding anything, right? And he says that's what uh, the alternatives offer. And of course, Christianity doesn't. Christianity says, can't do it on your own. God had to do it. God can't just forgive you. Sin has to be paid for. And God did that himself. Right, right. And it's a complete package situation uh, here as well. So then he says, uh, towards the end here, he says, allow me to draw the application that evangelism is part of apologetics, as the reverse is also true, perspectively. The apologist must also always be ready to present the gospel. He must not get so tangled up in arguments, proofs, defenses, and critiques that he neglects to give believers what he needs most. It's not uh, always be ready to get in an argument for the hope that you have uh, because you're morally superior and, and, and you're saved by grace through, through faith alone. And, uh, you know, that, 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 uh, you, you can uh, do what you want after that. No, uh, the, 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 the response that we should have is, uh, ooh, I'm looking for an argument, but ooh, I'm, I'm looking to tell other people the good news. And so he says then um, we must see that Christianity, both as philosophy – 
and as good news is the alternative to the conventional wisdom. This uniqueness of Christianity is itself an apologetic uh, um, application, and uh, it is also uh, a, um, a significant um, uh, perspective that we're, we're bringing as well. Yeah, good. And he, so he ends this uh, chapter by saying this. He says, obviously, uniqueness alone does not itself entail truth, right? Yes, Christianity is different. It's an alternative. It's unique. It's, it, you know, from uh, these other uh, worldviews and perspectives. But that doesn't necessarily entail truth. But when all the other alternatives march along, like he says, Tweedledum and Tweedledee, all claiming, you know, implausibly to be able to explain the personal by means of the impersonal, or all claiming autonomy and thus denying God's sovereignty, or all claiming to be, you know, find ultimate um, ultimates that are not in God, but in creation, or all offering as a solution to our predicament, nothing more profound than works righteousness. Uh, indeed, without, he says, a divine difference right, among these various conventional ideologies. He says, it certainly makes sense to give a high priority to investigating Christianity and its claims, right? <laughs> because, again, of its uniqueness, it's different from these other claims from other worldviews. Mm -hmm. This indifference to such uniqueness, he says, uh, is not wise when we're considering, uh, you know, the best uh, explanation. Right. And so he ends the chapter uh, on the message of the apologists <laughs> by emphasizing the uniqueness of the Christian message and right. perspective. Right, right. Yep. Uh, Christianity doesn't seek to be a, 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 a voice of one in a thousand. It wants to be the voice of one of one. And um, and that's the that's the gospel message, and uh, ultimately that's why they killed the the prophets. That's why they killed uh, Jesus, and that's why they killed uh, the apostles of the church. And uh, you know it, it it doesn't look too good for us either. So uh, good thing the Bible talks about that as well. <laughs> All right, so that's the end of chapter two. Uh, next one we're going to look at apologetics as proof, some uh, methodological considerations uh, that he's going to cover in in, uh, in uh, chapter three here. Um, but, uh, but so, uh, you know, we, we kind of hit everything so far. We've hit literally everything at the, the makeup of all nature and reality, how we know things and, and how we should live. I mean, after chapter two, we should close the book and, and be all done, but there's more, there's way, <laughs> yeah, there's more. There's way and more. so this next chapter is going to be kind of uh, interesting because he's really going to be dealing with an objection to presuppositional apologetics, right? right. Presupp the objection is, well, if you just presuppose things, you're not giving any evidence, right? And he's going to look at apologetics as proof, right? right? In terms of how indeed this particular approach does deal with this issue of uh, proving right. uh, with regard to apologetics. That should be an interesting discussion. Next Claim, claims are evidence. Do you have evidence for that claim? So, right. <laughs> all right well uh um we uh we just thank you for uh continuing to to open up books and and read with us uh we uh we appreciate that um that uh um, you know you you uh, are are joining us uh, even if you don't have the book in front of you uh to learn uh, uh more about uh god in his world or uh at, at what uh what uh, uh christians uh believe and and so um thanks for uh joining us uh and uh, we'll see you in chapter three uh, next week. All right. See you next time.